Life, Hope, and Truth presents The World to Come, What It Will Be Like Written and presented by Eric Jones Produced by The Church of God, a worldwide association Chapter 6 How the Earth's Physical Environment Will Be Transformed In Acts 3, verse 21, the Apostle Peter described Christ's rule as the times of restoration of all things. The word restoration implies returning the world to its original condition, referring to the time of creation when Adam and Eve walked in harmony with God in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2 describes the garden's beautiful environment as ideal for human life. It was watered naturally, its temperature was fine-tuned for human comfort, and all animals were docile and living in harmony. God, who created and maintained this perfect environment, was there and had a close relationship with Adam and Eve. But all that changed when Adam and Eve succumbed to Satan's pernicious influence and chose to sin. That sin severed their close relationship with their Creator and removed them from this ideal paradise. After that, God no longer directly governed them or their offspring and took some of his blessings from the earth. The perfect conditions of Eden gave way to the disorder of our world today. Nowadays, the majority of the earth's dry land is uninhabitable. Large portions are arid deserts, frozen ice caps, or rugged mountains. Only about 13% of the earth's surface can support agriculture. Many of the places on Earth that can support human life are susceptible to natural disasters, hurricanes, tsunamis, cyclones, wildfires, tornadoes, floods, heat waves, droughts, dust storms, avalanches, and blizzards. Water is a limited resource for which people have fought wars. And of course, many animals are extremely dangerous. But according to Isaiah 49 verse 8, when Christ returns, he will restore the Earth. He will heal the environmental destruction of the wars, natural disasters, and man's mismanagement that preceded his coming and restore the perfect environment that existed in the Garden of Eden. His return and the revealing of the children of God will liberate the entire creation from the bondage of corruption or decay, according to Romans 8 verse 21. Like many of the other changes that Christ will bring, this will happen gradually. As the people of the world are spiritually transformed, the earth they live in will be physically transformed, and vice versa. What else does the Bible reveal about the coming transformation of the planet Earth? Uninhabitable lands will be healed. Roughly 33 to 35% of the Earth's surface is virtually uninhabitable desert. The largest is the polar desert of Antarctica, which represents 5.4 million square miles of barren land. The largest hot desert is Africa's Sahara, stretching over 3.3 million square miles. The desert with which people of the Bible were familiar is the Arabian Desert, covering over 900,000 square miles. With extreme heat and lack of rain, hot deserts cannot support the vegetation and animal life we rely on for nutrition. The only way human societies can flourish is by clustering along water systems like rivers. One of the spectacular changes Christ will bring to this earth will be healing the deserts. Isaiah beautifully described this amazing transformation in Isaiah 35 verses 1 through 2. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. 
It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. Land that had been formerly desolate, so dry and cold that it couldn't support vegetation, will be healed and blossom as a rose. Christ will accomplish this by modifying the climate and adding the vital ingredient of water. Verses 6 through 7. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jekylls where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Abundant springs will burst forth in the deserts, perhaps fed by newly created aquifers, carving new rivers, according to Isaiah 43 verses 19 through 20. Water and agriculture will then allow another major change to the former deserts, human life. Healing the deserts will add millions of square miles of inhabitable land, allowing people to spread out and not be confined to cramped dwellings in overcrowded cities. This change will facilitate Micah's prophecy in Micah 4 verse 4. Everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. This also indicates that people will have the ability to possess their own land, which will produce a positive economic impact. With arable, fertile land and good government that is truly concerned about everybody's welfare, the problems of hunger, starvation, and famine will be solved. Ezekiel also pointed out another area designated for healing, the Dead Sea and the adjacent parched Judean desert. The Dead Sea is ten times saltier than ocean water, meaning neither fish nor aquatic plants can live in it. But from the new temple in Jerusalem, a river will flow east toward the Judean desert and the Dead Sea, and according to Ezekiel 47 verse 8, when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Its saline waters will become crystal clear and fresh, a source of abundant freshwater fish, according to verses 9 through 10. The river will also bring trees and greenery to the Judean desert, providing delicious fruit and medicinal leaves, according to verse 12. The mountains will be lowered. Isaiah also talked about raising valleys and lowering mountains in Isaiah 40 verse 4 and 41 verse 15. Lowering mountains in the scriptures often represents governments being humbled and submitting to Christ's rule, Isaiah 2 verse 2. These and other scriptures, though, also indicate a physical fulfillment, that Christ will alter the earth's terrain, making possible both additional living areas and improved weather patterns. It seems many mountain ranges that have very harsh climates and desolate conditions will be lowered and reshaped to allow people to live and farm on them. Prophecies show beautiful mountains and valleys will continue to exist for man to enjoy, but they will be restructured to maximize their use and beauty for man's benefit and will contribute to the quality of life. Joel 3 verse 18, And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. Consider the effect mountain ranges have on the climate of surrounding lands. Large mountain ranges often obstruct moisture-carrying winds essential for rainfall. The side of a mountain range facing the prevailing winds often has abundant rainfall and is lush and green, while the other side is dry. This is called a rain shadow. The Himalayas, for example, cast a rain shadow causing the arid conditions of the Gobi Desert. Could one reason for lowering mountain ranges be to allow moisture-carrying winds to move freely around the earth, bringing life to the deserts? Good weather and agricultural blessings. 
Even in areas that can support human life today, many are dependent on consistent rain and sunshine for their food. They're vulnerable to weather extremes, from droughts to devastating storms that can easily destroy crops and lead to hunger. But in the millennium, as God's way of life fills the world, God will bless the lands with timely, gentle rainfall. Just enough rain, but not so much as to cause flooding, will cause agriculture to flourish. He will provide the perfect amount of rainfall in its season, allowing agricultural production to boom. According to Joel 2 verse 24, The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. The prophet Amos wrote in Amos 9 verse 13, The plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. But the rain God gives will depend on people's relationship with Him. Those who do God's will and ask for the blessings of good weather will receive it. But when people defy and rebel against Him, He will withhold it to teach them a lesson. You can read about that in Zechariah 14 verses 17 through 18. This type of correction will likely occur in the early decades of the millennium and become increasingly unnecessary as people learn to faithfully obey God. Another factor leading to agricultural abundance will be the reinstituting of the sabbatical year. God instructed the people of ancient Israel to plow their fields and harvest their crops for six years, but cease in the seventh and let the land lay fallow. You can read about that in Leviticus 25 verses 3 through 4. It wasn't until thousands of years later that scientists discovered the brilliance of this law. Letting soil rest replenishes essential nutrients, allowing the soil to maintain its fertility and reducing the risk of erosion. Although agricultural experts today seldom follow the precise formula God gave, they do recognize the value of such practices as rotating crops, planting cover crops that return nutrients to the soil, and letting land rest for one planting cycle. When God, the master gardener, reinstitutes his system, Every seventh year, the land will rest and be replenished. With his blessings of abundance, food will be stockpiled in the sixth year and then used in the seventh year. Perhaps the extra leisure time people will have during the sabbatical year may provide extra opportunities for personal rejuvenation, spiritual education, travel, and creativity. According to Psalm 72 verse 16, the combination of weather blessings and the application of God's law will cause an abundance of grain in the earth. No more weeds. One of the blessings Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden was the ease of caring for the land. They didn't have to spend inordinate amounts of time and energy clearing all the natural impediments to cultivation. But after their sin, God removed this blessing, and then they had to contend with thorns and thistles and labor hard to work the land according to Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. To this day, farming is difficult work, though it is made easier by modern farm machinery, but still challenging, especially in less developed areas. However, in the millennium, that will change. Isaiah 55, verse 13 reads, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Thorns and briars, representative of nuisance plants, will no longer be an issue. Instead, the earth will naturally yield useful plant life that doesn't hinder but benefits productivity. 
Instead of toiling long, people will have more time to do the things that build their lives and society. There will be an entirely new lifestyle and culture. Throughout history, nearly all major societies and cities have risen and flourished around bodies of water, adjacent to rivers, lakes, seas, and oceans. This has clumped together many people into densely populated cities. Modern economic factors and industrialization have accelerated urbanization, and today roughly 55% of the world's population live in cities. The United Nations projects this will rise to 68% by 2050. Due to poverty, millions live in cramped, unsanitary city slums. An estimated 100 million-plus people are homeless around the world, and over 1.6 billion people lack adequate housing. For millions, life is a virtual rat race to survive. But God never intended for people to live this way. He wanted human beings to multiply and spread throughout the earth, instead of being squeezed together in overcrowded cities. Healing deserts and lowering mountains will facilitate human beings spreading out and living in comfort. That doesn't mean urban life will be abolished. Cities will still exist during the millennium, according to many prophecies. But they will be different, very different. Instead of being concrete jungles of businesses and cramped high-rise apartments, they will be designed to balance efficiency and beauty. Efficiency will be gained by designing cities God's way. They will be well-planned, orderly, and peaceful. Since city planners will be motivated by concern for the inhabitants, towns will be wisely designed to promote their citizens' well-being. Urban populations will surely have less pollution and less stress than today. Many of the cities in Israel could have great, huge populations. Ezekiel 36 verse 38 reads, Like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. According to Zechariah 2 verse 4, even Jerusalem will be heavily populated. The difference between cities now and cities then is that they will be planned and designed to comfortably house their populations without people being forced to live in inhumane slums or squeezed together in densely packed tenements. Urban design will reflect God's standards of beauty and quality. When vast sums of money will no longer need to be poured into military, police, or security systems, Resources can be invested into bettering society in many ways. Buildings will likely be interspersed with beautiful parks and green spaces, providing tranquil space where people can exercise and children can play. Since all animals will be tame and safe, instead of zoos, one can imagine parks with lions wandering around, like squirrels do today, being fed treats from the hands of children. Ezekiel's prophecies about the future of Jerusalem show its design including common lands to be used by everyone in Ezekiel 48 verses 15 through 19. All of the newly inhabitable land will allow cities, towns, and villages to be built as people spread out and develop the new frontiers opened up to them. Work and Recreation in the Millennium Life and work will be much different than it is in today's world. People will put in a solid day's work, but without the stress of working inordinate amounts of hours just to make ends meet or to have more possessions. People will enjoy their work and will be content with what they have. Burnout and exhaustion will no longer be issues people deal with. Life will be balanced and peaceful just as God intended it to be. Imagine how much people will enjoy slowing down and relaxing in nature. 
Cities won't just be for the hustle and bustle of commerce, but will be places where children can play and the elderly can relax. You can read about that in Zechariah 8 verses 4 through 5. Every seventh day, all work and commerce will stop as people rest and rejoice on God's Sabbath. In this family-centered society, people will spend leisure time with their relatives and nurture strong friendships with other families. Chatter and laughter will be heard throughout towns as family and friends share meals together and enjoy each other's company. There's no reason to believe technology will cease to exist. In fact, there is every reason to believe it will flourish, but people will learn how to control any of its potentially negative effects. A slower pace of life will allow more time for creativity. Isaiah wrote that during this time, the whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Isaiah 14, verse 7. Since God loves music and the arts, these cultural elements will surely flourish. The millennium will likely produce a new renaissance of inspiration and creativity, good music, brilliant literature, wholesome entertainment, and beautiful art. And all will be done within the liberty of God's law. Entertainment and arts will no longer feature every form of decadence man can devise and its resulting horrible effects but will celebrate the best of what life has to offer. The physical will reflect the spiritual. These are just a few ways the earth will be changed during the millennium. And nearly all these changes have great spiritual symbolism. God often uses the physical to teach us about the spiritual, and the transformation of the earth's physical environment will reflect the spiritual transformation of human beings and society. Introducing water to the parched deserts of the earth reflects the renewal human beings will experience when they receive rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit. Minds and lives that were formerly like a desert, parched of God's knowledge and spirit, will be renewed and revived. Just as the desert will blossom as the rose, the lives of people will blossom with the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. The taming of wild, predatory animals offers an interesting parallel to another miracle that will be taking place, the taming of man's nature. The Bible often likens powerful and war-making nations to beasts, but the formerly violent, beast-like nations of the earth will become friendly. Nations that once attacked smaller and vulnerable people will dwell peacefully together, just as lions will dwell peacefully with children and lambs. The lowering of the mountains and the smoothing of rough places likewise teaches us that the high and mighty in our age will be brought down, just like the mountains, while the lowly and humble will be raised up. These changes also teach us that all obstructions to understanding and living God's way of life will be removed. Just as mountains block the movement of people and life-giving rain, Satan's deceptions prevent people from knowing the true God and his way of life. But after Satan is banished and Christ rules supreme, all obstructions to knowing God will be removed. The millennium's beautiful weather reflects life's peacefulness. Today, many people suffer emotional storms and upheaval, just as our world constantly experiences storms and natural disasters. But during the millennium, life will become peaceful and simple because many of life's complications and difficulties, often a result of sin, will be replaced by the tranquility that comes from knowing and following God. People will learn that sin complicates all aspects of life, but obedience simplifies it. Just as consistent rain comes as a blessing for obedience, 
God will pour out His Holy Spirit on those who obey Him. Removing the thorny weeds reflects the cares of this world being wiped away and replaced by God's peace and the simplicity of His way of life. Again, these are just a few ways God will change this earth and people's lives. The physical and spiritual changes that will transform this world will happen gradually as people respond to God, and as they obey and are changed from the heart, their blessings will only increase. But what will happen when this time is over? In the next chapter, we'll explore what will occur in the post-millennial age. Sidebar, Health and Healing During the Millennium A prophecy from Malachi reveals another change Christ will bring when he returns. Healing. Malachi 4 verse 2 reads, The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. With so many problems to repair, healing will appear in different forms. Part of the healing, as we've seen, will be of the physical environment. But he will also bring healing to people, physically, mentally, and spiritually. First, consider the physical, of which Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 35 verses 5 through 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Jesus partially fulfilled this prophecy in the first century by healing many people, according to Matthew 11 verse 5 and Matthew 15 verse 31. But its ultimate fulfillment will be after he returns, when he brings healing on a global scale. As people come to him, they will experience physical healing, Hosea 6 verse 1. Jeremiah prophesied that Christ will restore health in Jeremiah 30 verse 17. Eventually, the whole world will be healthy, Isaiah 33 verse 24. No conceivable afflicting illness is incurable to God. He has the power to wipe out all forms of disease, infectious diseases, deficiency diseases, hereditary diseases, and physiological diseases. Epidemics and pandemics will become things of the past. People will live long, healthy lives just as God originally intended. In addition to instant healing, many other factors will promote health and extend lifespans. A clean and unpolluted environment will provide fresh air and pure water. People will be taught God's principles of good health and nutrition and learn to stop health-harming practices like smoking, drug use, and eating unclean foods. By avoiding sexual promiscuity, people will no longer contract sexually transmitted diseases. Christ will bring spiritual and emotional healing as well. He knows and can heal all the underlying causes of mental health issues, ranging from chemical imbalances to genetic and environmental factors. He promises in Isaiah 61 verse 1 to heal the brokenhearted, those burdened by depression, sorrow, and emotional anguish. He will bring rest and peace to those who are heavy laden with sadness. But the greatest form of healing Christ will offer is the healing of spiritual blindness. Upon receiving God's Spirit, people will be given the power of a sound mind. When He removes the curtain of blindness, spiritual sight will enable them to see the truth. Isaiah 25 verse 7. He will be a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 7. Jesus Christ's government will open people's eyes to the light of his truth and set them free from all the shackles of sin and Satan's influence. 
Thanks for listening. For the next chapter of this booklet, continue with episode eight of The World to Come, What It Will Be Like.